Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was describing the history of the Samaritans, and this program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. In the previous broadcast, I was explaining the general disagreement between the Samaritans and the Jews when the Jews returned from Babylon had to do with two issues. The first issue was that the Jews were not willing to accept the Samaritans as Israelites because the Samaritans were not able to really prove to the satisfaction of the leaders of the Jews their identity as Israelites. And the other point of disagreement had to do with how they were going to live, that the religious Jews believed that they had found a way to live in obedience to the Mosaic Law by instituting Pharisaical Judaism, and the Samaritans were unwilling to live their lives according to Pharisaical Judaism. And so those were the two main points that caused the disagreement and the conflict between the Samaritans and the Jews when the Jews were returning from Babylon. When the Jews were returning from Babylon, they assembled together and they had the opportunity to return to Jerusalem and rebuild their society there. It was necessary for them to make a decision with regards to who would actually be able to return with the Jews as representatives of the Jewish people. You see, there was a problem with being able to officially identify who would be a Jew there in Babylon because of the intermarriage that had occurred while they were there. And so because of this uncertainty with regards to who should be allowed to legitimately return as a representative of the Jewish population, because of this controversy, they went into the scriptures to try to find a solution to be able to identify who would be a Jew and who would not be a Jew. And there was a decision that was made. This decision was made according to Deuteronomy chapter 7, or it was derived from Deuteronomy chapter 7 in verses 3 and 4. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 3 and 4, there is a warning with regards to intermarriage, marrying with other people from other cultures, from other societies or other religions. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, beginning in verse 3, it says, Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your sons away from following me, To serve other gods, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will quickly destroy you. So they took this very seriously and suggested that if a person intermarried, then there was risk of allowing that person to continue to be a part of the community or a part of the nation. Because if that happened, then the people may choose to turn away from the Lord and his anger will then be kindled against them and he will destroy the entire people, the entire population, relatively speaking. And so they took this very seriously. But what is difficult to see because of this translation is that in verse 4, there's a slight mistranslation at the beginning of the verse. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 4, where it says, For they will turn your sons away from following me, 
It doesn't really say that in the original text. In the original text, the pronoun they is not used. The pronoun he is used. The religious leaders in Babylon took very special note of the use of this pronoun. And in doing so, they concluded that because it is a he that is the one who will turn your sons away, the conclusion was was that the he would be a Gentile who married a Jewish woman, and the sons that is being referred to here would be the grandchildren. In other words, this was used to define the situation where a Jewish woman would marry a Gentile man and have children, and these children would be recognized as the sons of Israel legitimately. And so based on this verse, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 4, it was decided that a person would be recognized as a Jew if they were born by a Jewish mother. So if they were born by a Jewish mother, regardless of whether the father was a Gentile or a Jew, they would be recognized as a Jew. This would be the definition of a Jew. This was a radical decision that was made around 538-540 B.C. I say it is a radical decision because before this point, the identity of a Jew was determined by the paternal line, not by the maternal line. And this had to do with inheritance rights and determining who would own property, how property would be passed from one person to another. And in general, property was owned by the men because they were the ones who defended the land and worked the land. That was how things were in the society back in that time. And so that's how these decisions were made. But when the Jews returned from Babylon, the Samaritans did not agree. They continued to establish property rights and inheritance rights according to the paternal line, not according to the maternal line. And so in that way, there was a distinct division between the people on top of the confusion and uncertainty with regards to who was really an Israelite, a member of one of the ten tribes, on top of the uncertainty because of the 200 years of intermarriage and change in society there in the region of Samaria, on top of that, there was also this new conflict with regards to how a person would be legitimately identified as a member of the nation of Israel. And, of course, the Samaritans did not agree with the Jews. Now, as I was explaining in the previous program, this was not such a big deal until the Jews became prosperous. And 200 years later, somewhere between 320 or maybe 350 B.C., about 200 years after the Jews returned, they had rebuilt an entire society for themselves. They became very productive. They became very prosperous. They were able to rebuild their religious institutions and begin to live in obedience to the Mosaic Law with regards to the festivals and other sacramental events that were described by the Mosaic Law. And so they began to reinstitute the religious infrastructure within Jerusalem. As they began to prosper, and as they began to grow, there would be this coveting that would then occur from the Samaritans because of the success of the Jews, that the Samaritans would want to have a piece of it. But the Samaritans were not permitted to be a part of the nation of Israel. The Jews had rejected the Samaritans. They rejected them 200 years before this time in history, There was a formal rejection of the Samaritans. And so for those Samaritans who wanted to live in obedience to the Mosaic Law, if they were going to follow through with the Mosaic Law as the Mosaic Law was written, they would have to go to Jerusalem and be a part of the nation of Israel there. 
They knew that. That's what was clearly said in the Mosaic Law. It was well understood. However, when they would go to Jerusalem to worship there with the Jews, they would not be accepted by the Jews because of the uncertainty of their nationalistic identity. But more importantly, the real reason why, in addition to the uncertainty of their nationalistic identity, the real issue was that they were not willing to embrace Pharisaical Judaism. You see, if they were willing to embrace Pharisaical Judaism, then their nationalistic identity would not really be that big of a deal, not to the Jews. That wouldn't have been such a big deal, because if they would have embraced Pharisaical Judaism, then through their life of repentance and obedience and their commitment to the Mosaic Law, according to the religious Jews, they would be considered to be legitimate Israelites. That's a key point. So while I have mentioned several times that their nationalistic identity was a problem, it certainly was, but it could have been resolved if they were willing to embrace Pharisaical Judaism, and I really needed to make that point, and so I'm making that point right now. In general, many Christian commentators do focus on the uncertainty of the nationalistic identity of the Samaritans. However, I believe that it is of greater importance to understand their rejection of Pharisaical Judaism For many reasons, in addition to the reasons that I'm describing right now, this is a very important issue that led the Jews to completely reject the Samaritans, regardless of their nationalistic identity, regardless of whether they could prove that they were of the tribes of Israel or not to their satisfaction. And so what are the Samaritans going to do? What could they do in a circumstance such as this, where they are so fully rejected by the Jewish people and yet they want to worship God, what are they going to do now? As the Jewish people are reinstituting the religious infrastructure of Israel there in Jerusalem, and the Samaritans are being left out, and the people are refusing to allow them to have a part in it, the only thing that they can really do is set up their own religious institutions outside of Jerusalem, outside of the society of the Jewish people. And that's exactly what they did. They did not do this, and this is important to see. I don't believe that they did this in order to reject the Jews or to reject the people there or reject the people's beliefs. I believe that they set up their own temple there in their own community to worship God because the Jews were unwilling to allow them to worship God there in Jerusalem. And sure enough, in approximately 330 B.C., the Samaritans built their own temple to God there on Mount Gerizim. Now, in building the temple there, they would then have to acknowledge that they were living in disobedience to the Mosaic Law, because the Mosaic Law is clear that the Lord their God was to be worshipped there in Jerusalem, the place that he established himself as the place that people would worship him. To worship him in any other location was considered to be evil, And so what are the Samaritans going to do? Well, what they did was they changed the books of Moses. They altered the scriptures. That's one thing that they did. They altered the scriptures in order to change any references to Jerusalem. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 5, Judaism takes this verse to refer to Jerusalem as the place where he would establish his name. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 5, was changed to Mount Gerizim. And in addition to that, the reference to Abraham offering Isaac on Mount Moriah was changed to Mount Gerizim. 
These are the two official passages in the books of Moses that were altered by the Samaritans in order to justify their worshiping God on Mount Gerizim and setting up a temple there. And the reason why was because they certainly could not worship him in Jerusalem. The Jews would not permit them to. So this was a decision that the Samaritans made in order to try and establish a religious society for themselves. When they did this, though, the Jews rejected the Samaritans even more. Even more. First, of course, their nationalistic identity was in question. The second issue was that they were unwilling to embrace Pharisaical Judaism. And now add to the list the fact that they are not going to worship God in Jerusalem, They're going to worship God on Mount Gerizim and rewrite the scriptures in order to justify this new religious belief that they are going to assert. It was at this point that the Jews had a greater cause against the Samaritans. And this became one of the most popular reasons why the Jews rejected the Samaritans and why they reject the Samaritans even to this day. It is because of the claim, rightly so, that the Samaritans altered the law of Moses, in order to justify their beliefs. But again, it depends on who you ask, who started what. Because the Samaritans, they did that, I believe, from what I can tell, they did that because I don't think they really felt that they had much of an alternative. If they were going to continue to worship God, they would need to do that in order to at least deceive themselves into believing that they were being righteous before their God. Otherwise, it would have been obvious. But there was another problem that the Samaritans had. And that was the prophetic writings. Because in addition to the law of Moses, there were the prophets. The prophets had spoken. The prophets had written about the history of Israel, the history of the Jewish kingdom in the south, and the history of the kingdom of Israel in the north, and their being taken away into captivity. The prophets spoke about the events that had already come to pass. In addition to that, the prophets spoke of the return of the Jews to the land that they would be able to reestablish themselves there in Jerusalem and reconstruct their society. If the Samaritans are going to change the books of Moses in order to justify their beliefs and now give some support to their rejecting the Jews, because in effect they are rejecting the Jews by doing so, First the Jews rejected them, now they're rejecting the Jews in light of the rejection that they had received, because through rewriting the scriptures, they're now going to say that the Jews are being deceived, that they are the ones who rewrote the scriptures. It is the Jews who are deceiving themselves and others. But in order to believe that, and in order to promote that, they also have to reject the prophetic writings. They have to reject the writings of the prophets. Because the prophets spoke of the Jews being taken into captivity and the Jews returning. And all of that took place. And so in order for the Samaritans to justify their beliefs, they also had to reject the prophetical writings. And they did. So in addition to rejecting Pharisaical Judaism and rewriting parts of the books of Moses, now on top of that, they're going to have to reject the prophetical writings that would also invalidate their beliefs. This was about 200 years after the Jews returned from captivity in Babylon. Now, as time went on, the two societies continued to grow and develop. And then about 150 years later or so, Antiochus IV comes in and tries to oppress the people in the land of Israel, in both the region of the Jews and 
the Samaritans tries to oppress them by requiring them to worship the Greek gods to turn away from Judaism and turn away from living a life according to the Mosaic law. He came in and threatened people that if they did not turn to the religion of the Greeks, that they would quite likely be executed or made slaves or something close to that. And of course, according to the historical records, we know that some of the Jews did embrace Greek philosophy and Greek religions in order to survive, but there were many others who did not. And the Maccabean Wars resulted from this conflict between Antiochus IV and the Jews. And of course, I have done a series of programs on this subject. The name of the series is The Miracle of Hanukkah, and I would like to encourage you to listen to that series in order to gain some greater insights with regards to the history and the events that unfolded and how important they are with respect to the survival of the Jews and the establishment of the society after the wars and the setting of the stage of the coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. And so I would like to encourage you to listen to those programs. But in this broadcast, I'm only mentioning this to say that there were many Samaritans who chose to worship the Greek gods, more so than the Jews, percentage-wise. I believe that the reason why the Samaritans were willing to do this is because it was only 150 years after their religion had been established. A lot happens in 150 years or so. However, I believe that it was not long enough for the lie that was perpetrated in approximately 330 B.C. There was not enough time for the lie that they perpetrated to really alter and change the society to the point of real, true, deep convictions. True, deep convictions that they were really telling the truth, especially in light of the perpetual confrontation with the prophetical writings that the Jews would continue to promote in order to assert their legitimacy in light of the Samaritans. So the Samaritans would not likely have such deep convictions as the Jews had at that time, and therefore it would be much easier for them to embrace pagan Greek philosophy and pagan Greek religions because they didn't have the conviction or the fortitude necessarily to die for the beliefs that they were wanting to promote amongst themselves as it was. And so because of that, the Samaritans actually made an appeal to Antiochus IV to dedicate their temple that they had built to the Greek gods. The Samaritans made a direct appeal to Antiochus to do this. That was very distinct from the Jews, of course, because the Jews were not wanting the Greeks to come in and dedicate their temple that they were building to the Greek gods. They were very much opposed to it. However, the Samaritans handled this differently. For example, in Josephus, his book 12, chapter 5, he quoted the Samaritans as saying this, We therefore beseech thee, our benefactor and savior, to give order to Apollonius, the governor of this part of the country, and to Nicanor, the procurator of thy affairs, to give us no disturbances, nor to lay to our charge what the Jews are accused of, since we are aliens from their nation and from their customs. But let our temple, which at present hath no name at all, be named the temple of Jupiter Hellenius. In Second Maccabees, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, it says, Shortly afterwards the Greek king sent Gerontus the Athenian to force the Jews of Israel to violate their ancestral customs and live no longer by the laws of God and to profane the temple in Jerusalem and dedicate it to Olympian Zeus. 
and the one on Mount Gerizim to Zeus, patron of strangers, as the inhabitants of the later place had requested. So this was a major point of contention between the Jews and the Samaritans, on top of everything else that was between them. Now the Samaritans do this. After all of the conflicts, after all the debates, after all the discussions, after the Samaritans go so far as to rewrite the books of Moses and build their own temple, after all of that, after all that they stand up for and do in order to try to assert themselves or make a place of some kind for them to worship God, after all this desperation, now they officially declare that they are not a part of the Jewish people and have no part with their customs at all. They are complete aliens from the nation of the Jews. That's what they said. That was their testimony. Once they do this, then the Jews looked at the Samaritans as a people who were even worse than how they looked at the Samaritans before. Because now, after all of the disputes over the previous several hundred years, it all comes down to this, that they're finally willing to confess that they're complete aliens to the Jewish people and make a formal request to now worship pagan Greek gods. As far as I can tell, this was considered to be the last nail in the coffin, to use that expression, between the Samaritans and the Jews. This was really the last straw. It was the straw that broke the camel's back, to use that expression as well. It was at this point that the Jews and the Samaritans had no opportunity to ever be reconciled again. And to this day, they still are not reconciled with each other because of this history between them. Now, as we know, the Maccabeans did succeed in overcoming the Greeks. They did succeed in retaking the land and reestablishing their religious infrastructure. They did survive this war. However, when they did, they went to Samaria. John Hyrcanus, in about 128 B.C., went to the Samaritan temple on Mount Gerizim, and he completely destroyed it. In the name of the Jews who had overcome the Greeks, he completely destroyed the temple. There are a few stones that remain there that we can look at today. However, the temple was completely destroyed by the Jews. The temple in Jerusalem, they were willing to cleanse and rededicate to the Lord. But the temple in Samaria, that they totally destroyed. And so the final nail in the coffin between the Jews and the Samaritans was when the Samaritans officially proclaimed that they had no part of the Jews and that they had no association with them at all, that they were complete aliens from the nation. That was an issue between the Jews and the Samaritans. However, when the Jews went in and completely destroyed their temple, that was a final nail in the coffin between the Samaritans and the Jews. Because if you consider the reason why the Samaritans built that temple was because the Jews would not permit them to worship God in Jerusalem. Now, the Jews are not even going to permit them to worship God there in Samaria. And they say that very aggressively by destroying their temple there. And so at this point, the Samaritans now will never want to be reconciled with the Jews. And again, as the Jews have had this conflict with the Samaritans up to this day, so also the Samaritans, because of this, have had a conflict with the Jews up to this day. And again, I see no way that they're ever going to reconcile because of these issues. And so it depends on who you ask as to who was really at fault. 
The Jews would say that the Samaritans were evil because they would not embrace Pharisaical Judaism, because they would rewrite the scriptures. However, the the Samaritans could easily say that the Jews were at fault because they were not willing to embrace and accept the Samaritans as Israelites, and they were not willing to allow the Samaritans to worship there in Jerusalem. It just depends on who you ask with regards to who is at fault. Depending on who you ask, you can get different answers. And so during the time of the Lord Jesus, what is the situation going to look like? Well, the situation would be very simple. From the Jews' perspective, at this time in history, the Jews, during the time of the Lord Jesus, would look at the Samaritans as people who rejected the God of Israel in favor of the gods of the Greeks. When there was the conflict with Antiochus IV, the Samaritans chose to worship the Greek gods and confessed to Antiochus, that they were aliens to the Jews and to their customs, to their religion, to their faith, and to their God. So from the Jews' perspective, they would see the Samaritans in this context, almost like an enemy. And they would believe that they did the Samaritans a favor, and they would believe that they were acting on behalf of the true and living God when they destroyed the temple of the Samaritans. However, from the Samaritans' point of view, from their perspective, they would look at the Jews and say, these are the people who refuse to recognize us for who we truly are. They have refused to allow us to worship in Jerusalem, and so we have ended up defiling the scriptures, and we now reject the writings of the prophets in order to construct some semblance of worship amongst ourselves here in our land because we're not permitted to go to Jerusalem because we're looked at as Gentiles there in Jerusalem. We're not permitted to approach the temple or be there in the temple with the Jews. We would have to remain outside in the court of the Gentiles. We would not be permitted to worship as the Jews do. And the Jews took away our temple here where we tried as best we could to worship our God with what we had. That's how the Samaritans would look at the Jews, that the Jews not only rejected the Samaritans, but prevented them from worshiping their God as best they could. That would be the historical and cultural context of the conflict between the Samaritans and the Jews at the time of the Lord Jesus. Now, understanding this history of the Samaritans, I sincerely believe that you can look into the New Testament and you can see the circumstances and the references to the Samaritans from a very different perspective than is often revealed in Christianity today. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.